In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in the ancient Mediterranean world, there was nothing of higher value than having knowledge. The most advanced people in any religion were the people who had advanced past basic common knowledge. So if you were among the religious elites, you had esoteric knowledge. You had the knowledge that only a select few had. And so perhaps in this world, you knew of some special gods that no one else knew of. You knew of some ancient tradition. You knew of some ritual that was recently brought from Egypt. Perhaps you claimed that some spirit revealed to you something about the future that no one else knew. You knew things about the universe, about spirituality, about oracles, and about God that the general public did not know. And so having access to this secret knowledge made you more attuned to the realities of the universe. But in 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 8, St. Paul is going to flip this on its head. He's going to show us that the key thing is really not what we know about God. Instead, the key thing is that we are known by God. And this is what separates true Christianity from every other religion in the world. In every other religion, salvation is all about getting to know God better. It is about the pursuit of knowledge about God. It is about pursuing a knowledge about how to live a good and virtuous life. It is the pursuit of knowing what to do to make God happy with you. It's the pursuit of a state of nirvana, a state of bliss. Every other religion in the world is about climbing some ladder to a better life. It's about climbing some ladder to a better future. But the Christian gospel says something else. It says that the most important thing is God's pursuit of us. What matters is that we are known by God. We are known by God because he is our father. He loves us, he's redeemed us from sin, from death and the devil. He has promised always to know us. And he knows us not in a general way, but in a very specific way as our loving father. And this is the freedom of the gospel. You don't actually have to prove to God how much you know. You don't have to prove to the world how great you are. God already knows you. God has already made a decision about you. Your ignorance, your vice, your sin doesn't mess that up. God knows you, and he knows already what is in your heart. And this means you are entirely free, free from whatever judgments you make about yourself or free from the judgments the world makes about you. And so there were some in the Corinthian church in Paul's day who apparently were making their knowledge about religious truth the very central part of their faith. There was a controversy about whether or not Christians can eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And that was a sticky question in that congregation. Because in cities in those days, you didn't just go to Walmart, you didn't go to Aldi or wherever to go buy your meat. And so the source of meat for the public came from pagan priests who sold the leftovers from sacrifices to support themselves. And among the upper class, it was common to have meals at pagan temples themselves. 
because that's where the meat was guaranteed to be the freshest and the top quality. And so these weren't precisely religious events when they were eating at a temple. They were cultural events. But they were still eating with pagans. And they were eating meat that had come from pagan sacrifices. And of course, Christians were a very, very small minority of people in that day. And eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols was simply how the public got much of their protein. And so there were two trains of thought in Corinth. The first was from people who really boasted about their knowledge. They said, we know that these idols are not real. These idols are just wood and metal carved into shapes. The pagan sacrifices don't actually do anything. There are no gods. There's only one God. Therefore, we can eat the meat that's been sacrificed to them because none of these sacrifices are real anyway. And of course, they were right as far as that goes. The idols were not real. There was nothing special about the meat that was being sold. The sacrifices don't accomplish anything. But the other group was made up of new Christians who were uneasy about eating the meat that had been sacrificed to idols. These are people who themselves were former pagans. At one time, they had offered sacrifices to idols. They had participated in the temple cult. Therefore, eating meat held for them a deep association of their lives before Christ knew them. And so they felt like they may be compromising their faith by participating in these kinds of former practices. So the conflict then that Paul identifies is that the former group that boasted of its knowledge about knowing that idols are not real saw themselves as superior than the other group who did not want to eat meat. And he says in this context, knowledge puffs up. In other words, the group that was eating meat was using their comfort with eating meat as a kind of marker for how strong their faith was. They knew that idols were nothing, and so they boasted about how spiritual they must be for having that knowledge. Right? They were like the super Christians. They must have had stronger faith than the group that didn't eat meat. They could go into a temple and remain faithful. They were super. So Paul has to get to the heart of the conflict. And he confirms for them that indeed, Christ sets us free to eat meat, to not eat meat. He says, neither one is of importance in your relationship with God. What is important, the foundation, is that God has known you first. God has chosen you and called you. You are free. But now, in that freedom, Christ has set us up for something greater. And so eating meat or not eating meat is not the central question in this chapter. Instead, what is central is loving our neighbor. The freedom Christ gives means that we don't have to put ourselves first, but rather we can put our neighbor first. We don't have to show the world how much we know. We don't have to show others how holy we are, how faithful we are. Instead, we can consider the needs of one another first. And we have that freedom because God has known us first. We don't have to impress anyone. And more than that, Paul says we are free to see one another not through the prism of choices like eating meat 
are not eating meat, but through the truth that Christ has died for our brother or sister in Christ. As Christians, that's the high value we place on one another. Our brother or sister in Christ does not exist to be a point of comparison. Right? I know more than he does. I pray better than he does. I attend church more than he does, and so on. But they exist as ones that God has known and God has saved. And so we are free to act in consideration of our brother and sister first. We don't have to act to impress God, to impress the world. We're free to act in order to build up and encourage one another. Famously, Martin Luther puts it like this. A Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. And so on one hand, God knows us. God has saved us, and we don't do anything to deserve our salvation. We don't add to it in any way. But because we are justified by Christ alone, and not by anything we do, we are freed to serve and love one another out of genuine love. We don't have to serve out of obligation. We don't have to serve to try to make God happy. We serve because we get to build one another up in the same kind of joy we have in the gospel freedom. And so for the Corinthians, it really looks simple. If eating meat was going to destroy the faith of a brother or sister, then I would refrain from eating meat, St. Paul says. It's not going to change my status as a child of God one way or another. And so instead, I will build them up and celebrate the joys of their new life in Christ with them. And so we do want to be careful in how we hear this as well, because sometimes in our culture, offending someone is the greatest sin. But that's not what Paul is getting at here. Paul's not talking about offending someone by asserting the truth. It's not that one group of Corinthians was wrong in eating meat. It was not wrong for them to assert their freedom to eat meat. What was wrong was to assert their freedom in a way that would destroy the faith of their brothers or sisters in Christ. Paul's reminding us that Christ has set us free to consider the needs of one another. Paul is saying you are free to sit down with someone, to get to know them, to understand them, and then to act in such a way as to build them up and not tear them down. And so if you hear that your brother in Christ is a recent convert, who won't eat meat, then you listen to him charitably and with love. You hear his struggle, you hear where maybe his conscience is weaker than yours, and you lovingly discern how you can best support him in the faith. And so the struggles of others do not become the means to prove to ourselves how superior we are. Right? I'm so much more pious than the other person because I can or can't do this one particular thing nor do they give us an avenue to stand before God and say, look at how much better I am than so-and-so. I participate in so much more in church than they do. I'm so much more here on Sunday mornings than they are. Look how much more faithful I am, God. And that's not what the freedom of the gospel allows us to do. The freedom of the gospel calls us to something greater. It calls us to the truth that God gives us our neighbor's so that we can love them. And the gospel means we love not out of obligation, but out of the sure confidence of being known by God. 
And that's where freedom comes from. Because when you are known by God, everything else fits into that alignment. You have that confidence that God knows you, God loves you, God forgives you. And that's the good news of the gospel. Amen.